You know, the, the, the year, the calendar year in the church is divided into segments. And we're in that segment of the, of the Christian year that we call Advent, those weeks leading up to Christmas. Advent means coming or arrival, thinking about the coming of Jesus. And this year we're really trying to look at the Christmas story in a way that helps us to maybe understand some new things about God. If I were to give a subtitle to my teaching today, it would probably be the weirdest Christmas sermon I have ever preached. And so I'm just going to kind of ask you to hang in there with me and and see where this is hopefully eventually going to go. One of the really profound things that has been happening in my life lately, and by lately I mean in the last several years, has been... The fact that I realize more and more that I don't understand God. I don't know that I would actually say I have trouble believing in God, but I have trouble sometimes believing in this being that is revealed in the Bible. I mean, he is so different than anything else. And things that I believe about God that I think the Bible is teaching so clearly are just so hard to understand, hard for me anyway. Do do you ever feel that way? I mean, the the Bible says that that God is eternal, for instance. I mean, I don't, I don't, what does that mean? Thinking about God going on forever in the future, I can sort of grasp that and kind of think about God going on forever but it's the other way that I have trouble with that God had no beginning I mean everything else in our existence has a start something causes it and it starts God had no beginning he always was back before the universe back before angels or anything that that there was some point back there where there's just God Nothing else is like that. God is all-powerful, the Bible says. All-powerful. I mean, everything else, you know, you use power and it gets used up. And even things that seem like kind of, you know, sources of energy that are going to keep going, nuclear or something like that, you know, eventually it gets used up. God's power is limitless. It is infinite. God created the universe. I love thinking about universe kind of stuff, you know, and you think back to what probably was the, what we call the Big Bang, this singularity where suddenly everything is created and in this little bit of a second, all of creation is brought into being and maybe space and time itself is created and it explodes, you know, into what became the universe and God did that and He did it effortlessly. He didn't expend any of His power to do that. How do you you understand a God like that? The Bible says that God knows everything. He's omniscient. That's one that gets me sometimes. Here's Here's when it hits me most. It's when I'm lying in bed at night and I'm praying just a silent prayer in my head and I'm talking to God. And for some reason at that point, it so often strikes me, do I really believe that there is some being out there who is actually hearing 
my thoughts hearing these little electronic things going on in the synapses of my brain and he understands those and he realizes there that I'm talking to him. It just blows my mind. And then I think, well, that's no more difficult than to think if I was talking to him out loud, you know, like that's going to make it easier for God in the midst of seven and a half billion of people to hear me saying some words to him. God knows all of that. He knows everything that has ever happened. He knows everything that could possibly happen. He knows everything that's going to happen in the future. He knows everything about us. What kind of being is that? And how do we, how do we relate to a being like that? The Bible tells us, in fact, in Isaiah 40, God is speaking and he says this. And this is so true. He says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. See, and I really relate to that. What can you possibly compare to God? There is nothing else in our experience that is like him. And it seems like so much of the Old Testament particularly is sort of helping us to grasp that God is not like anything else. He is high and holy and lifted up. And so it seems like in the Old Testament that 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 truth about God as being this amazing, ununderstandable being, you know, is being... Driven home in so many ways. So, so God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush. You remember that? And what does God say? Moses, you know, come near, but take the shoes off your feet. Because the presence of a holy God there makes that holy ground. And, and a little later on, when Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, when God is going to give him the Ten Commandments, you know, and Moses goes up and the whole mountain is, is shaking and there's fire and, and and people think that Moses is maybe going to die up there because God is so holy and glorious and overwhelming you just don't you don't go into the presence of God you know? and and the the whole mountain becomes a holy place because this being is there so that you know nobody touches the mountain don't even let your your cattle touch the the foot of the mountain or they will die and Moses is up there a long time and people think well that's it Moses died because he went into the presence of God because that's what they believed was going to happen because God is just this overwhelming being that people can't begin to understand and the response that people have to God was one of fear and trembling. Let me read you First Chronicles 16. It says this, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens tremble before Him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. See, that's it. You know, if you're going to... Think about God. If you're going to approach God, you better tremble. You better be filled with fear because God is this holy, magnificent, glorious being. And so when finally they get around it and Solomon is going to build a temple for God in Jerusalem. And so they're bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant. Remember this box 
that represented the presence of God. They're bringing it into Jerusalem. It starts to fall. A guy catches it. What happens? He dies instantly because you don't mess around with God and you don't touch holy things. And they're going to build this temple for God in Jerusalem. For the God of the universe. They're going to build this little house for God. And Solomon, the builder of this temple, the king in Israel, realizes in some ways that's just an impossible thought. Here's what he says in 1 Kings chapter 8. He's dedicating this temple. He says, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Later on in Isaiah 66, it says, this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. You know, God is saying, all right, you build this temple, but understand this. I'm the God of the universe. The heavens, the highest heavens cannot contain me. So don't think for a minute that you're going to build this house and somehow I'm going to be contained in this little room. Because I am so much bigger and greater than that. And if you're trying to compare me to any other kinds of gods, you're way off base. So they build the temple and they represent the, the presence of God there, the God of the universe. And when they dedicate it, the the physical manifestation of the glory of God, the Shekinah glory comes down and it fills the temple. And just that, just this reflection of His glory is so overwhelming. The Bible says that all of Israel who gather together, they fall down in their faces like dead people in fear that the God of the universe would be there in their midst. And you remember people didn't go into the temple. You didn't go into the temple. Nobody went into the temple except some of the priests once in a while. And one day a year, you remember, the high priest would go into that little part of the temple called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And what did people think was going to happen when he went in there? They thought he was probably going to die. You remember they would, they would, they would tie a cord around his ankle so that when he went into the holy place, And if he died, if he was overcome by the glory and the majesty and the wonder of God, if all that took place, you know, and he died, at least they could pull his body out. Because that's how they thought it was with God. He was so magnificent and so glorious. How, How could anybody be in his presence and not just fear and tremble, but maybe even die in his presence? And so that's how God seems to be presented to us. And I can say in my own life, that's been a huge thing. I think I, I struggle with it, but I want to picture God in that way. And I'm not saying at all that those are bad things about God. Those are magnificent things about God. How could He be any less than this glorious, majestic, holy, powerful God? And it just seemed to me when we're, when we're talking about this, maybe we just need to stop for a minute and appreciate that. Maybe we need to remind ourselves again that God is a holy, 
awesome being and that for us to be in his presence as we are right now that this is a holy place and this is a holy moment because the holy god is here so i want us to just stop for a minute just stop and worship that god Derek, would you help us with this i just want us i just feel like we ought to stand up in honoring god would you stand up we're in the presence of the holy god The God who said to Moses, you know, take off your shoes. You're in the presence of a holy God. We are in the presence of the God of the universe. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The heavens declare the the, the glory of God. The firmament announces His praises. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who set your glory above the heavens. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have created, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that you would care for him? Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon his throne, high and and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And the whole house was filled with smoke. And above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings, and with two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook with the sound of the voice of him who called. And I said, woe is me. I'm a dead man. Because I have unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Worthy are you, O Lord God, of glory and honor and strength and power and majesty now and forever. For you alone are God. You alone created all things. And we're standing on our feet now to honor you. But in our hearts, we're down on our knees. We're down on our faces before you because you are a being like no other. And we honor you and we praise you and we worship you now. We acknowledge that our feeble little minds can't comprehend your greatness. But we know that you are God and that you are glorious. And we give you our praise and our worship now, Lord God. Amen. You may be seated. And so that's who God is. And that's how people related to God with with fear and trembling. And then, sort of unexpectedly, in a, in a little country in the Middle East, in a little redneck town, there's a teenage girl. And the Bible says this, that, that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel said to her, Hail, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled by this saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. For you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And Mary said, How how can this be, since I have no husband? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Almighty will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and it is now the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God... Nothing is impossible. And Mary said, I, I'm, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. And then there's that dear man, Joseph, fiancé of Mary, who finds out that this young woman that he loves, that he wanted to spend his life with, is pregnant. And it must have broken his heart. So the Bible says that the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel from heaven appeared to him a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet. Listen to this. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called... Do you remember? His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And suddenly everything changes. That this God who is so glorious and majestic and high and lifted up that the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain him. Suddenly that God becomes Emmanuel, God with us. So when I'm having trouble relating to God because he's so big, you know, and so powerful, and so holy, and so glorious. I am so grateful that God took the step of approaching us, becoming Jesus, God with flesh on. And make no mistake about it, that baby whose birth we celebrate, you know, in the manger in Bethlehem, is that God who is eternal and almighty and glorious and holy and all of those amazing things. He is that God in flesh. 
So when I think about the power of God, I don't have to think just anymore about this big being created in the universe. I think about the power of God in the hand of Jesus reaching out and touching a leper and making him clean. I think about the power of God who multiplied loaves of bread and fishes to feed a hungry crowd. When I think about God, now I can think about Jesus. And, and a lot of you know, there was a point in my life when, when that change was hugely important and it changed my life. And it took place when I was in high school and I grew up in this, this great church but it was definitely a holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty church where God was out there and you spoke to Him in, in King James English and you didn't mess with God and you didn't joke about Him because God was holy and you approached Him with fear and trembling. And our, our church hired a, a youth director from Wheaton College who would come over and he had a relationship with God that I had never uh, never seen before. I mean, he he had this personal relationship with God that I saw in the way he talked to God, the way he prayed, the way he uh, related to God. That that Jesus was there with him, and so when he was struggling in college, he just looked to Jesus and he believed that Jesus was there. And over a period of several months. This amazing thing occurred in my life. This God who is out there became the God who was here with me. He became in my life Emmanuel. And the difference that made uh, to a high school kid was uh, earth-shaking. Because like probably every high school kid, there were times when I felt um, lonely, when I felt misunderstood. And I'd look at Jesus, and I, I know that Jesus was lonely, and I know that Jesus was misunderstood. There were times when I was afraid, and I'd looked at Jesus, and I knew Jesus was afraid. And so when I'm going all, through all this kind of human stuff that every one of us goes through, suddenly there was Jesus right there with me when my locker was stuck and I couldn't get it open. And at night when I talked to him in bed, you know, it's like he's sitting there on the edge of the bed listening to me. That changed, that changed my life. So I think for me, the thing that really hits me at Christmas is thinking about that huge move that God made to be, from being this sort of unapproachable being in his holiness to being that approachable Jesus to whom we could relate, because he was like us. He was one of us. And this Christmas, that's the God I would present to you. The God who is Jesus. The God who understands, who relates, who went through it all just like we do. And who loved us enough to give his human life on the cross in payment for our sins. What I'd like to do now is to just take a couple minutes now to worship 
that part of God that is Jesus, the, the baby Jesus, Jesus the man, you know, walking on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus the man giving sight to the blind, Jesus the man who died on the cross for us. So uh, Katie and Brad are going to help us, and we're just going to focus for a few minutes uh, on this God who came near to us. Starlight in the dark Endless miles can't conceal you Every glimmer is a spark Catching fire as you break through You're not far away Even as I wait, you're coming close You're like summer in the night The sun goes down, but still I feel you And every shadow is turning bright Every broken heart is made new You're not far away, you're coming close And oh, even as I wait, you're coming close
Even as I wait, you're coming close. You're like starlight in the dark. Endless miles can't conceal you. Every glimmer is a spark Catching fire as you break through One of Jesus' closest friends, his disciple John, who knew what he was talking about, described Jesus this way. He said, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And when John began to write the story of Jesus' life, he began this way. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we praise you that you are once and always at the same time glorious and holy and majestic and, and you are Jesus you know, walking the dusty streets of Galilee, you know, eating at the home of sinners, reaching out and encircling the lonely and the needing with your arms of love my hope for myself and for each of us here today would be that we would find some time during these next few weeks to simply allow you to love us. And we pray in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.